We are in the same text that we have been in the last, in the last two weeks. So we're in chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, this is week 8. We're in chapter 3. We're not moving very fast. Uh, but we're trying to, to develop and understand the rich truths that we see here in 1 John. And so uh, this text pressed on us three questions uh, we answered one question last week, and so we're going to read this text, we're going to review a little bit from last week, and then we're going to head into answering the two other questions that came to us uh, in this text. So let's just join together, chapter 3, starting in verse 11. It's on the screen, or you can join us in your study Bible here. One more page. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not who does not love abides in, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so those questions that were pressed on my heart as I was reading this text were these. Uh, Number one is, why would the world hate us if we are marked by love for one another? Number two is, why is love for brother an assurance of salvation, but not love of neighbor? Are, Are neighbor and brother the same? And number three is, what will this kind of love cost me? So last week, we walked through this question of why would the world hate us, believers, if we are to be marked by love for one another? And what we pulled on was the example given to us in this text, the example of Cain and Abel. And what that example showed us is that this world, and when we say world, the fallen world, those who don't love God, those who have chosen their own way rather than him, will hate us for nothing more than our pursuit of righteousness, delighting in the Father, living in dependency and in love with him. And John's words were echoing the words of Jesus that were recorded in John's gospel. When Jesus says that this world will hate you for nothing more than the fact that I chose you out of it. I pursued you out of it. But what we said is that there seems to be this escalation in disdain for historical Orthodox Christianity in our culture that's grown over the last decade. And and it's tough to put our finger on what it is, but we can speculate it's because of two different reasons. 
Uh, the first reason that we talked about last week is that the definition of love has moved, that the definition of love has moved. And the second was, is that lack of assimilation creates disdain from the mainstream. And so when we look in Scripture, love is defined differently than it is defined in this world. Christian love is one that rejoices in the truth. And that truth is the person in the work of Jesus Christ. That is at the center of Christian love. But what seemingly becomes at the center of worldly love is a concept like peace or harmony, value or worth. And what that creates is a worldly love that gets rooted in tolerance, acceptance, selfishness, and passivity. It is a love that gets generalized into emotions that wishes well on others that requires no action or no sacrifice from us. John Stott, who is a prolific writer, commentary writer, writes in his commentary on the letters of John, he says this about this kind of generalized love. He says, loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I love that line. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. What continues to become easier and easier in this social media-driven world that demands a generalized, tolerant, selfish love by using the means of guilt and shame to move people towards that love by saying, how wicked could you be to not love by our definition? That world continues to want us to settle for connection over deep abiding relationship with one another. And we concluded that hatred of the world should not come from our antagonism towards the world. That's not where it should come. We have had seasons as Christians where we have not done a good job of loving the world. Hatred of the world should not come through our antagonism, but rather on steadfastness to the gospel truth. That we would, as believers, get back to the fundamentals of our faith, loving God, Pursuing godliness. Those are the things that lead the charge. Fundamentals that convey that loving as an effort is not to be known uh, simply to become a lover of people. You, we don't love people for people to say good things about us. That isn't the rule of Christian love. We don't love because love demands it. Love loves because, because God's love in us compels it. It is a different motivation. And so we went into great detail on that, and that's the crux of it. If you want to review that, you can listen to last week's sermon. But today we tackle the final two questions. Why is love for brother an assurance of salvation, but not love of neighbor? Are they the same thing? Are they the same thing? Well, starting in chapter or verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not Love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so in this particular text, when, when we hear this word brother, it's not saying just men here, but this would be everybody who is a follower of Christ, brothers and sisters alike. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And John pulls on this commandment that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus says, you have heard it said to you before, do not murder. But today I tell you, if anybody has anger in their heart towards their brother, they are liable for judgment. Jesus always interested in getting to the root of sin. Getting behind the action to the motive equates anger with murder. Because all that murder come, becomes to be is unresolved anger that is acted out upon. 
out on. Jesus gets to the very core of disobedience and sin, namely the human heart. And when we define what a human heart, we're not talking about our organ, but that moral, intellectual, emotional center that every one of us have. Jesus did not come to merely fix your heart, but he came to replace your heart. That as a new creation, God gives us a a new heart that's filled with new desires where his law and his commands are, are written in that heart. That transforms us from the inside out, meaning that we begin to desire from the inside to follow the things that God loves, not simply acting out of effort to obey what God wants. And so what John is saying here is that anybody who has a regenerated heart, anybody who has a new heart whom the Holy Spirit rests upon should love others like that. They should love other Christians That is the test of love. In the same way that faith without works is dead, faith without love for brother is dead. That is how we know that somebody has gospel transformation. It is evidence to gospel truth in relationship with God. If if somebody would go to a doctor, and that doctor proved himself incapable of healing or diagnosing even the most simplest disease or ailments, they would reveal themselves to be a fraud. And the same is true for a Christian who does not love his fellow brother or sister in Christ. They reveal a lack of transformation and a lack of relationship with God. And so John has been conveying in this text Three tests that we can know rightly if somebody is a true believer in Christ. And we've talked about this. The test of of truth, right belief in Jesus. The test of obedience, right obedience to God's command. And the test of love. And what John records revolving around that test is this idea of love for brother. That is the test of love. Do you love your brother? Now, what is interesting here is John's test revolving around love for brother Loving other Christians is a proof that you're a believer. But, but when we study scripture, there can seemingly be this contradiction in what Jesus talks about when he's asked this question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So, Jesus says that everything is built on these two commands. Loving God with everything that we have and loving neighbor as self. So what gives here? Why is the test of love in John's epistle founded on love of brother, but Jesus commands love of neighbor here? Is this a contradiction that we hear about in Scripture? all the time? Is John just flat out wrong? Or are brother and neighbor the same? So we've got a little bit of legwork to do here today before we can fully answer this question. Here's what we do know, that the word for love in both of those passages is the same Greek word for love. There are seven different Greek words for love that convey different Uh, dimensions of love, love for family, love for siblings. Uh, This word love in both of these passages is the same. It's the word agape. And if we were going to define agape, we would define that type of love like this. It's a sacrificial and spontaneous means it doesn't need a cause. It's just spontaneous. It's a spontaneous love which shows compassion 
and seeks welfare and justice for an individual. It is to love the way that Christ loved. And so this is how we are to love our brother, and brother signifies somebody who knows Christ, somebody who loves Jesus. Neighbor does not convey that. Neighbor is anybody who's near you, anybody who's near you. So you could have a neighbor who's a brother, but you could have a neighbor that's not a brother. You have a brother that's a neighbor. They mean two different things, but we are to love them in the same way. We're to love brother, sister, neighbor, and and Jesus even goes further. In Matthew 5, he says we are to love our enemies with this same type of love. So the method or the application of love is the same, whether you're brother, sister, neighbor, or enemy. But where we begin to see a difference is in their purpose and in their mission. If we think back to how Jesus responds to this question about what is the greatest commandment, he says you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so the question that we should ask is how do you love yourself well? How do you love yourself well? Well, for the believer, we love ourselves best when we love God most. You know yourself and love yourself best when you understand who created you, how they created you, and why you created it. We love best of ourselves when we love God most. Augustine, who's a old theologian, lived in the 300th century of AD. He, he writes this about this idea. He says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, now you love yourself suitably when you love God better than yourself. I love that phrase. Now you love yourself suitably when you love God better than yourself. What then you aim at in yourself, you must aim at in your neighbor, namely that he may love God with a perfect affection. For you do not love him as yourself unless you try to draw him to that good which you are yourself pursuing. God, for this is the one good which has room for all to pursue it along with thee. From this precept proceeds the duties of human society. And so what Augustine is pointing out here is that we don't love neighbor simply to be known as noble or simply to be known as somebody who's considered a lover. It's not even to be about our name being spoken well. We love our neighbor because we want them to experience the riches of Christ's love in our own life themselves. We love neighbor because we love God most, and we want them to love God most. Love is not the end with neighbor. It is a love that rejoices in the truth of Christ, that they might too come to know his gospel and his glory. And so we can see that love for neighbor is missional. It's missional in nature. We, because of Christ, pursue their welfare, their justice with the compassion, because we want them to come to know the one who has granted us the ability to love them so profoundly. And so love of neighbor is missional. But it's different for love of brother. Love of brother is not missional. Love of brother is different. A brother or sister, somebody who rejoices in the truth of Christ, one who loves because God first loved them, fellow sons and daughters of Christ, there is no mission to accomplish by the means of gospel love. And so, rather, brotherly love is one that is based on our position, where love for neighbor is a missional love. Love for brother is about position. 
Positional meaning that we understand our position under a holy, awesome, mighty, righteous God. That we can see our brokenness. That we understand our desperate need for His grace and rejoice in His unmerited love for us. So when we see ourselves well, desperately needing His grace, being transformed by love through the Holy Spirit, it should be easier for those who recognize their good fortune and salvation to love others who are being transformed by love in the same manner. And so the reason that John compels love of brother as an assurance of salvation rather than love of neighbor is that it should be easier for a Christian to love a Christian because they know how wretched they once were. And they have come to know how great our God is in love and mercy and how weak we are. Our positions themselves should create esteem for others who are in the same position, who have the Holy Spirit alive and active on them, binding us together as believers. It shouldn't be difficult for Christians to love Christians. It shouldn't take much effort. It should be the most natural inclination of your heart. You should be able to get past the stuff in life, your conflicts with other believers, because we are rooted in the same thing, love for God and a need for his gospel. I think this principle is true. Like, if I just think of, like, in my life, like, like if you you love my daughters well, like, I'm going to love you. Because my affection toward my, my daughters is great. And, and if you have affection towards my daughter, it, if you love them, encourage them, like, you need nothing more to do than that. And the same is true for us believers. We need nothing more than to see somebody affectionate towards God. Following him to love him. Now, here's the troubling thing we could spend an unreasonable amount of time discussing the tragedy of how this is not the case in the church today. That we often feel more divided than we do united. And that's to the detriment of God's glory. That is us being blinded by his, uh, of his costly sacrifice. I spend great amounts of time And just perplexion of watching people take non-theological positions and entrenching themselves in those positions and pursue uh, just speaking hate about other people who don't believe the same things as they believe. It is not for the glory of Christ that we do that. And so can I just implore this church that we would strive for truthfulness and love for brother. That we would strive to be what we should be, rich in affection because of the grace of Christ. That we would love each other sacrificially for nothing more than the fact that we love Jesus. And so then there's this question of what is that kind of love going to cost me? And John lays that out in his letter He does a good job of compelling what that looks like, and and that kind of starts in verse 16 when he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone who has the world's good sees his brother 
in need, yet closes his heart against him? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, I think these are great words, obviously. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It is easy to talk about love. It is harder to show it. This cost that John says should be incurred by brother and sister towards other brothers and sisters in Christ is nothing less than laying down our own lives for them. Nothing less than us laying down our own lives for them. If we test our fellow believers, if we test them right knowledge of the truth, right obedience to God's command, right love for one another, if they prove to be somebody who pursues and loves God, then we should not spare one ounce of our love back from them. That we should love so fully, so sacrificially, that we would even give our own lives for them. And that sounds like a lot. But it is what is demanded of us. It is what is demanded of us. But John knows this. Not many of us will be given the opportunity to die for our brothers and sisters. And so he goes on to say, if you have the world's goods, food, money, possessions, materials, and you see a brother in need, in burden, you can love them in the same way by giving what you have to them. If we can't love uh, to the point of death, we can surely love to the point of uncomfortability. But what can be extremely difficult in this day and age to navigate through is living inside of a prosperous country where people feel entitled to things that they don't really need. They've come to expect things that they don't really need but think that they deserve them. And so what I am saying is that it can be hard to know where to give sacrificially like this. And I'm sure that you felt that tension in your life of how much do I give? Do I give? Where do I give? It seems so hard to understand how to do that in a culture that's become so accustomed to taking and not doing their own part. And so what becomes increasingly important for you and I as believers is to understand the difference between what a load is and what a burden is. And the Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the church in Galatia. In the sixth chapter, he says, Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something, he has something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And so what Paul is contending in this passage is that there are normal day-to-day -day activities that we as humans have to do simply to survive in this world. That is our load. There are responsibilities and expectations put on us simply because we are alive and we want to stay alive. We have tasks and responsibilities that we just should do ourselves. Nobody else should do them for us. Things like work, caregiving, paying bills. Those are things that are a part of our daily lives. Those are the loads that we are to bear ourselves. And so what Paul is contending is that the mature believer says, I will carry my own load and other people's burdens. I will carry my own load 
and other people's burdens. Meaning this, that mature believers accomplish their own responsibilities and feel no pressure to help others accomplish theirs. Mature believers accomplish their own responsibilities and feel no pressure to help other people accomplish those things in their own lives. But mature believers also come alongside those who are sinking in this world because they are overloaded. People who the brokenness of this world has gotten the best of. People who the tragedy of this world has harmed in a way that is outside of their control. Those are the burdens that we are to carry for one another. Those are the burdens that we should spare no expense in trying to alleviate from other brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen, it is not God's expectation that we would carry each other's load. It is his expectation that we carry our own load. We are not loving others well when we carry their own load for them. And I know that sounds harsh. Maybe that sounds calloused. But there are many, many other ways that we can care and love our neighbor without carrying their own load. We face this dilemma every day as we're in this office of people coming in for needs. And, and sometimes we say we can't help there, but we can help here. I can't help you carry that load, but I can help you in this means. Everyone has to carry their own loads. And so what John is communicating inside the context of this test of love, what he's saying is that this world is going to hate you only because you love God, and you can see that love in others by how they love other brothers and sisters in Christ. If somebody comes to you and hates his brother, then they have never really come to know how far God has come to serve them. And that love we have for each other should go all the way to the point of death, if necessary. But be as simple as carrying each other's burdens through us being uncomfortable and giving what they don't have. And so John says, look, these are the things that I'm putting out as a test so that you have reassurance in your heart. Because he says, sometimes your heart condemns you. He talks about if your heart condemns you, God is bigger than your heart. It it is true in all of our lives that there are moments in our life that we question our own faith. Lord, I don't feel like I'm following you. Lord, I don't feel like you're with me. We, We doubt and we question, and John gives us a very practical means of examining our hearts if we feel like that. If we can look into our lives and see the very practice of loving our brother and sister in Christ. If we can look into our hearts and see the practice of helping to carry others' burdens. Then we know that Jesus is with us. Because there's nothing more that the enemy wants to do than immobilize God's people. Through the tactics of doubt doubting of ourselves, doubting of God's love. And so John says, if that is ever the case, that your heart condemns you, let us test ourselves by these measures. Do you love your brother and do you carry their burdens? If we are, as scripture says, to to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, simply meaning that we are most concerned in all that we do, that we reflect honor, and demonstrate the love and the grace that our Father has given to us through his costly sacrifice. That's what that means. 
that we test ourselves all the time, saying, am I right here? And so my encouragement for us this week is to let this scripture marinate in our hearts and let God's conviction press on our hearts and not reject it. Look, he's not condemning you. He wants to move you. We should examine our hearts here. Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It is hard. But is it there? And I'm, am I moved to compassion to care for others who are in burdens? Evaluate our hearts this week in that. I'll do that. I want you to do that. That we seek God's love and truth for ourselves. So we join me as we pray here today. God, we love you most. Uh, when we love you most, we love ourselves best. Uh, Father, you are the one that has loved us, the one that has saved us. Oh, and Jesus, we don't always live in the light of those things. Uh, we seek after our own selfish love, after our own selfish fulfillment. And Father, we don't often come across as people that would be willing to die for anything, let alone, let alone for another brother. We have trouble seeing each other in need and being moved to compassion. Lord, our hearts are wicked at times. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you today to gently but definitively change our hearts, to change our perspective in the way that we love. We are asking for nothing more than a revolutionary love for each other that would be a sweet aroma to the world that is in decay. And so, God, give us the boldness to let go of our pride and our comfort Grant us the wisdom to work through the conflicts that we have with one another. Lord, don't let us settle for being weak people who desire a weak faith because we do not serve a weak Savior who has a weak love, but rather at the center of our faith is the very Lion of Judah who ferociously takes away the sins of the world and removes our shame and our guilt and our pride. And so today we remember you, Father, and ask that you would set forth within us a new desire that we might let the world see you through our love for one another. And we ask this all in the beautiful and precious and awesome name of Christ, your Son. Amen.